Today, today is the 100th uh, anniversary of Remembrance Day, marking 100 years since the end of World War I. When war did break out in 1914, the world did not know the horror that the next few years would bring. Uh, young men quickly enlisted, enlisted out of a sense of duty, enlisted because there was an adventure ahead and some of the things I was uh, reading over this last week, some of them enlisted for the money. Uh, it, was actually, it was the promise of an income uh, that they didn't have. People enlisted for all kinds of different reasons, good and noble reasons, with little idea of the danger that lay ahead, not expecting the bloodshed that would come over the next four years. Many would die, every soldier would see horror. No soldier would be left unchanged, not one person untouched by war. Would young men have taken a different path if they knew the danger? Danger is ahead for Jesus' disciples. They're not heading to fight a war. They're not heading to the bloodshed of conflict. But on this night before Jesus goes to his death, he calls his disciples to enlist in his ongoing mission. The mission that he equips and enables and calls his disciples to is going to be a mission of extravagant glory. We've been seeing over the previous weeks, the previous chapters, that it's a mission of extravagant service, a mission of extravagant peace, a mission of extravagant love, but it's also a mission of extravagant danger. John chapter 15 and 16 prepares Jesus' disciples and us for extravagant danger in mission. This is not just talking about going off to some wild corner of the country somewhere where cannibals might want to eat missionaries. This is talking about all of life. Living a life that is lined up with Jesus' glory is a good life, but it will face danger. And Jesus gives us the resources for this life and mission. Life with Jesus is a mission. It's a life of making Jesus known. It's a life of living in godliness. It's a life of pursuing faith. It's a life of service. It's a life of love. But it's not an easy mission. It's not an easy life. It's not an easy path to take in a conflicted and broken world. And so this morning, you and I need to hear and know what Jesus says to his disciples. While Jesus' disciples will be recognised by their love for one another from the world, they should expect hatred. See in verse 18 there again, chapter 15, verse 18, Jesus says, If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you 
out of the world, that is why the world hates you. In the world's rebellion against God, its creator, and in the world's rebellion against the saviour that has come from God the Father, disciples of Jesus should expect the same. Danger is not just a possibility, it's an inevitability for those who belong to Jesus. Verse 20, Jesus says, Remember the words I spoke to you? No servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. You see, what Jesus' disciples face is more than being uncool or marginalised. They're going to be hated. Jesus says it in verse 18. He says it in verse 19. He says it in verse 23. He says it in verse 24. He says it in verse 25. In the previous chapter, we were looking at the repetition of the word love, that other four-letter word. Here we see the repetition of the word hate, 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 hate. Jesus' disciples are going to be persecuted, verse 20. Down in chapter 16, verse 2, we see that they're going to be kicked out of the synagogue, the gathering place of God's people for teaching and instruction, the place where they would belong, the community. Could you imagine being kicked out of church? That's what was in front of them, to be kicked out. Verse 2, to even be killed and for those to be doing the kicking out and for those to be doing the killing, to be thinking that they are even doing a service to God by doing that. Now if you were there with Jesus, would you have second thoughts about enlisting for this mission? And within 24 hours, Jesus is arrested The disciples are threatened and they scatter. Within 24 hours, Jesus is dead. Within weeks of Jesus saying this, organised religious groups are hunting down the followers of Jesus to put them in prison, to have them stoned, to have them killed. By the end of the first century, Christians are known for being lion food in the Colosseum in Rome. It didn't stop in the first century. In the 20th century, just last century, which most of us here were living in, in the 20th century, it's estimated that 26 million Christians were killed because they were Christian, because they belonged to Jesus, because they lined their life up with His glory, because they were on mission with Jesus. Would you, would you line your life up with Jesus for this? Threats? Prison? Persecution? Confiscation of property? Death? A friend of mine has just returned uh, from India. He was over there on a a Bible training tour, running workshops for uh, pastors in in India to 
equip them better for knowing the Bible and, 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 and teaching the Bible as they go around villages. And he said one of the things that really stood out for him, the thing that stood out the most, the thing that really struck him, was in this little group of pastors that he was uh, given responsibility for that week. Out of the six pastors, there was only one of them there who hadn't been in prison during the last six weeks. Five out of the six pastors that he was equipping during the last six weeks had been in prison for converting Hindus to Christianity. They, they could have been thinking, God, I've done my bit. I have done my bit on mission for you. I have seen these brothers and sisters converted from Hinduism into Christianity. I, and now I have been to prison for it. I've done my bit. What do they do when they get out of prison? They go, here's this Aussie guy coming who's going to teach us more from the Bible so that we can get on with mission further. Would you sign up for mission with Jesus? Uh, two weeks ago, I had the joy of interviewing a young men and women who were transitioning their lives into apprenticeships for ministry. And, and, and two weeks ago, I had the, the, the privilege and joy of interviewing this one young guy who's a concreter, uh, it's, he, he's, he's given me permission to name his name, his name is Fridge, if you see him on a rugby field you'll know why, uh, Fridge, a concreter, was converted just a couple of years ago, he went on this tour to India with his pastor to, to help him and support him and see what it was like and while Fridge was there, decided this is what I'm going to do with my life. Quit his job as a concreter and signed up to be a ministry apprentice. No clue how he's going to get through Bible college. He didn't even get through high school. But he's going to do whatever it takes to be better equipped to be on Jesus' mission. But it's a mission for which there is danger ahead. One mission director says, every form of mission leads to some form of cross. But Jesus prepares his disciples for this, so that they and us will stay the course. Chapter 16 verse 1, Jesus says, all this I have told you, so that you will not go astray, so that you will not wander off, so that you will not be tripped up, so that you will not stumble, but so that you will stay steady in your life lined up with me on mission with me. Now Jesus is not going to leave his disciples and us in this coming danger with just some inspired words and memory of Jesus, what we're going to go on to see next is that Jesus extravagantly resources his people for mission. The disciples and us have the presence of the Spirit and of Jesus. 
Uh, here Jesus tells his disciples more about the coming of the Spirit. Uh, we saw a little bit in chapter 14 that the Spirit that Jesus sends from the Father is Jesus' presence with his people. Here in chapters 15 and 16, we see a little bit more that the Spirit is named as a counsellor, an advocate, one who exposes the truth, like a, a good legal practitioner in a court exposes and makes known the truth, that is what the Spirit does. First of all, the Spirit exposes the truth about Jesus to His disciples. Chapter 15, verse 26. Verse 26, when the Counselor comes, whom I'll send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, He will testify about Me. The Spirit exposes the truth about Jesus. Secondly, the Spirit exposes the truth about the world. Verse 8 in chapter 16. When He comes, when the Spirit comes, He will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. See, what the Spirit does is it pulls aside the mask of righteousness that we hide behind so that Jesus might touch our hearts of guilt and shame. When He comes, He'll convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. The Spirit exposes uh, the truth about the world. The world masquerades uh, behind a, a mask of righteousness. The Spirit pulls that aside uh, to show up uh, sin and guilt so that Jesus might uh, deal with it. The third thing the Spirit does is exposes the truth about what is to come, about the future, verse 13, chapter 16, verse 13. But when He, the Spirit of truth, comes, He will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on His own, He will speak only what He hears and He will tell you what is yet to come. As the Spirit comes, the Spirit teaches the disciples of the future the truth of what is to come. The Spirit is one resource uh, that the disciples have for Jesus' mission and the second resource is Jesus Himself. Jesus is going away but Jesus will not be distant. The disciples will know the joy of Jesus' presence. Verse 16, in a little while you will see me no more and then after a little while you will see me. Jesus is not going to be distant, Jesus is not going to be absent. So verse 20, I tell you the truth, you'll weep and mourn while the world rejoices, you'll grieve but your grief will turn to joy. <coughs> a woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come but when her baby is born she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. So with you, now is your time of grief, but I will see you again and you will rejoice and no one will take away your joy. Jesus is talking here about His resurrection appearances. Though He's going to die tomorrow, He'll be alive again in just a few days and He's also talking about his future return. So that even amidst the danger 
of life in following after Jesus, the disciples have the joy of Jesus' presence. He is not distant, but present. One Korean martyr said to his persecutors before he died, you may take away from me my possessions, you may take away from me my home, you may take away from me even my life, but you can never take away Christ from my heart. Jesus' disciples know the joy of his presence. Disciples will also have Jesus' provision. Verse 23, In that day, Jesus says, you will no longer ask me anything. I tell you the truth, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Not because they haven't asked, they haven't needed to ask because Jesus is there with them. And Jesus asks on their behalf. Now, ask and you'll receive and your joy will be complete. This is an invitation to the disciples to bring their requests direct to God the Father in prayer because of Jesus' name, because of who Jesus is. (coughs) When we pray and use the phrase, in Jesus' name, it is not a a tagline that makes our communication sound prayer-like. In Jesus' name is a means of approach and an attitude of approach by which we come to God our Father to ask Him anything and everything in equipping and providing for us in living life lined up with Jesus. Finally, the disciples will know Jesus' victory. Verse 33, Jesus says, I have told you these things, I've told you about all this persecution. I've told you about the danger that's coming. I've told you about the resources of the Spirit. I've told you about my presence. I've told you all these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you'll have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. The disciples will face opposition, the disciples face trouble. They face extravagant danger, but they can do that knowing that Jesus wins. Jesus promises that we will face extravagant danger, but that He gives resources to those who belong to Him for life in this world and for the mission of making Him known. So here's our life plan for this week. Can you find it? The next bit of life plan written on the wrist? (coughs) Not alone. Life plan for this week? Not alone. The thing to get into our mind, the thing for us to remember this week, for the thing to shape how we think about our lives, the thing to shape how we approach Every situation in life, this week and the weeks ahead, not alone. Jesus promises that we'll face temptation and sin. Jesus promises that we will face challenges to serving and loving 
Jesus promises that we will face fear and opposition in making Jesus known. But brothers and sisters, Jesus promises we are not alone. 100 years ago, 400,000 Australians faced the danger of war. One of them was my great-grandfather. I didn't know him at the time. Like every other young man around him, he had no idea of the horror that lay ahead of him. He enlisted in 1917 and within a year was wounded in the Battle of Hamel. Young men who faced the war all knew fear. And a soldier's perhaps greatest fear was the fear of being left alone on the battlefield. It is a fear that I cannot imagine and hope to never know. Over the years, as I've gotten to know older people and, and, and one of the joys of my ministry is, is uh, preparing in advance for their funerals, as I've met particularly uh, with, with veterans of World War I and World War II, they talk about the fear of being alone, that fear of having been left on the battlefield. And for many of them, one of the verses of Scripture, those who knew their Bibles that came up and again, up again and again and again, was Psalm 46. It says, God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble, therefore we will not fear. It's a verse that says, we are not alone. Lining our lives up in Jesus' mission might get dangerous. In temptation, in trials, in trouble, in conflict, in making Jesus known, in trying to love difficult people, in holding on to faith when it costs us, in persecution, even in death but we are not alone. 